This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter, and we welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message today of how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Water Spilled on the Ground. It comes from 2 Samuel 14, 1 through 24. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. And won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. Whether that's iTunes or Spotify or Google or Amazon, wherever you go and listen to podcasts, we're there too. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Today we pick up in the 14th chapter of 2 Samuel. If you remember, David has reached a pinnacle with his reign for the nation of Israel. God has blessed him immensely, and he has been able to subdue all the enemies to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. But then but he started getting too comfortable, and he started walking in his flesh in that he saw Bathsheba, and he did that sin, that bad sin that everybody knows about David and Bathsheba. It wasn't bad enough that he just committed adultery, but then he tried to hide it. He tried to get away with it, and he wound up killing her husband. Well, then we saw in chapter 13, the promises that were given from Nathan from God Almighty were coming to pass. First, we saw his son Amnon rape Tamar. Now, Absalom, Tamar's sister, found out about it and was very upset. And then last week, we looked at that. We looked at Absalom's obsession and vengeance. We talked about forgiveness and how we are told to forgive. Well, today we're going to see that even though we're supposed to forgive and David was forgiven of very much and he understood about God's reconciliation and his forgiveness, he couldn't forgive his son Absalom for what he does to Amnon. A recap from last week real quick is that Absalom planned his vengeance. He waited over two years for his vengeance. He had an obsession about it. And we all probably know those people that they've hurt you somehow or someone's been hurt really bad. And instead of forgiving them like they should, they don't. They hold that inside. And we talked about how that can be a cancer and how it hurts us more than it hurts the other person. I told you about the saying that's out there that holding a grudge, holding a vengeance, holding an obsession is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill the other person. But that's not what happens. It hurts us. And I even quoted some studies around that. But anyhow, we looked at that vengeance that he had. And for two years, he planned, even though no one really knew about it. They, I think others knew what was going on, but he planned this murder. And so when they're doing sheep shearing, he invites 
Amnon down, and Amnon is killed after he's gotten drunk and has given the signal to the men from Absalom. Through all this, we see David's sin taking to another step. When he had Bathsheba, we saw that Amnon raped Tamar. Again, very similar, uh, just taken up a little bit more. And then we see death. Just like he killed Uriah, we see his son kill Amnon. Absalom kills Amnon. Today, we're going to see how King David received reconciliation from God, but he was not able to do that, achieve a true reconciliation with his son Absalom. Three years elapse as Absalom has murdered his half-brother Amnon, and he's fled into exile. We saw that last week, how he went to Geshur. And Joab sees how this is tearing on David's life. And so Joab puts a plan in action to find reconciliation. And we'll see over the next couple of lessons how David really never does do reconciliation, even though he does allow Absalom to come back home. So instead of reading 24 verses to you, I'm just going to paraphrase it real quick. I will read a couple of verses as we go through this. But what we see in this 2 Samuel chapter 14 is that Joab can see the king is distraught about his son Absalom. So he goes and talks to a wise woman from Tekoa, and he asks her to go to the king and pretend that she's mourning. Joab tells her what to say, and she does exactly what he says. She says, I'm a widow. I had two sons who fought and killed one another. She tells the King David that the people want and demand justice. They want the remaining son to be killed. She seems very upset to David, but she goes on to say that this is her one and only son that will be the heir to his dead father. But David promises that she and her only son will be safe. So go on home. So she asked to privately speak with King David. So the woman then is honest about everything. And she says that she's honestly asking why David won't forget his son Absalom. Why won't you let him return home? And she preaches to King David and says, look, we're all going to die. But God doesn't want people to die. He makes it possible for them to live. He loves and accepts the outcast. He's made a way for redemption and reconciliation. But then David gets suspicion and he asks her, is, is this from Joab? Is this Joab speaking? And she says, yes, it is. And he says, well, tell Joab then to go and bring my son Absalom home. But he's not to come in my presence. So Joab thanks King David and he goes and he gets Absalom. And effectively, that's the story of the 24 verses that I'm going to cover today. And this is a great story about Joab and how he tries to bring reconciliation between David and his son Absalom. But there is one verse that sits in the middle of this story of reconciliation that shows how much God loves each and every one of us. Some theologians say it is the most gospel-centric scripture in the whole Old Testament. It shows the reality of our spiritual and our physical death, but how God wants to give us life and he's willing to do whatever it takes so that people will come to him and not face eternal death. And so that's my first point for you note takers, that physical death and spiritual death are real. But before I get into that, I want to read this one verse to you. So if you would, look over at 2 Samuel 14, and let's look at the 14th verse. And it says, We must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life. And he devises means so that banished ones will not remain an outcast. I want to read that same verse to you from the New Living Translation because it puts it in very plain English. New Living Translation, 2 Samuel 14, 14. All of us must die eventually. 
Our lives are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. I love the way the New Living Translation says that, that he devises ways to bring us back to him when we've been separated from him because of sin. This verse right here in 2 Samuel 14 shows us the heart of God. Peter also was inspired to write in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the same thing that we just read in 2 Samuel, that the Lord devises ways to get us and bring us back. Here, it says that the Lord is slow, not because he's someone and slow, as some count slowness, but that he's patient, that he's patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. But he wants everyone to come to him and repent and ask for forgiveness and make a way back. And this is the forgiveness that we're going to talk about today. And David had seen this forgiveness, but yet he is not passing it on to his son. You might be asking, Tim, why are we drilling so much into this? Well, first of all, I don't want to take this further than it needs to go. But this woman and Joab are mediators for the reconciliation of David, the father, and Absalom, the son. And we could take a parallel of this that this is like Jesus was the mediator of the new covenant between us and God. As Absalom had committed sin, we committed sin. And David, the king who Absalom had wronged, God is the king that we've wronged. And so just like we see in this story, the reconciliation by Joab and this woman is the same thing that Jesus did for us. He made a way so that we could have peace over the vengeance of God. The writer of Hebrew talks about this. Turn with me to Hebrews 9.15 real quick. Therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. So what this verse is saying is that Jesus is the reason he mediates this new covenant between God and the people so that all that are called and asked for forgiveness that we get that promised inheritance. Christ died to set us free from the penalty of the sin that we committed against God under the first covenant. So where I'm going with this is that we all face a physical death and we also face a spiritual death. And they're both real. And it's going to happen to all of us. No one escapes this earth except and we're raptured up. When Jesus' second coming that we, are, we get out of here without dying. But if Jesus doesn't come before we die, we all face a physical death. And so as this woman is talking to King David, she says, for we will surely die. We'll become like water spilled on the ground. We can't be picked back up after we're gone. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in James 4.14 that we don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. In the Old Testament, Hosea in chapter 13, this is God speaking, God says, therefore, we shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes away early, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. What God is saying through the prophet Hosea is that we're just like a morning mist. We're here and then it's gone. Like the dew that's on the ground, but when the sun hits it, it evaporates. Like chaff as it's being separated from the wheat gets blown away by the wind, you see it, and then it's gone. Or like smoke, if you ever watch smoke, it goes up, but it just disappears into the air. 
And so our time here is finite. There's only a certain amount of time. We don't know how long that, that will be. But in contrast to eternity, it's a poof. It's like a mist. It's here and then it's gone. Listen to Psalms 144.4. It says the same thing. Man is like a breath. His days are like the passing shadow. In other words, we're here and then it's gone. And in 1 Peter 1.24, it says that for all flesh is like grass and all of its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass wither and the flower fails. What Peter is inspired to say and write in this letter is that our time here is going to be for a little bit and then it's gone. We all face death, a physical death. And what this wise woman does in verse 14 is she used a word picture to bring death to light for King David so that his heart will be moved and he'll forgive Absalom and allow him to come home. She's telling him, you should bring your son home, King David. Life is short. We all die. You've already lost two sons, the son of Bathsheba and now your son Amnon. Isn't that enough loss of life? Isn't that enough death for one person, for the king? We all die. Don't be foolish. And so in her word picture, she's telling King David that water in a vessel is very useful. But once it's spilled on the ground, it's lost its value. Unless it's poured out to make something grow, it's been wasted. And the water metaphor is life. It's about life. You only get life once. You only get one shot at life, as they say. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 9, 27, it says, And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And what we need to understand is that in Romans 5, 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men. Romans also tells us that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And through Adam bringing sin into life, we all now have sinned before God. Once we die, we have judgment. So as this woman's talking to David, he would understand about physical death and spiritual death. And so why is Tim harping on this? What does this really mean to you? Many of you listening to me today have faced your own death, and you aren't worried about it because you've made peace with God. You've allowed Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You've allowed your sin to be washed whiter than snow through the blood of Jesus Christ. There are those that are driving by that just so happen to be tuning their radio and they're listening to me right now. Maybe you clicked on the link on the internet. But whatever, this is for you. I'm trying to get you to understand and face the reality of your own death. For the last two years, we've faced this thing called COVID. And two years ago, they told us that a lot of us were going to die because of this little virus out there. Now, that's a lot of people have died. And I don't want to belittle the number of deaths, but it's not been as bad as what they scared us to and they locked us down to. But what COVID did do is it brought death as a reality. We all had to think about it. See, we're going to talk about in a minute how Jesus has given you a chance for reconciliation. But what I want you to understand right now is that you have to understand the idea of death. And you have to know that one day we're all going to die. Whether it's through COVID, whether it's through cancer, whether it's just through old age, whatever it is, we all will face death one day. And as plainly as I'm talking to you, this woman was talking to David. See, he understood that. We saw in 2 Samuel 12, 23, when that son does die after Nathan has promised that this son is going to die after what he's done with Bathsheba, David says in verse 23 that, but he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? 
I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. See, David understood that there's a time to die, and then we're going to face the judgment. And so now that I've been Debbie Downer and I've told you about we're all going to die, here's the good news. God gives us a chance for reconciliation. And that's what the woman tries to say here. In verse 14, listen what she says. But God will not take away life. And he devises means so that the banished ones will not remain an outcast. And I love that. He devises as a mean. From the beginning of time, God has been establishing means and ways by which he could have us saved, that we would have a way back to him. In Genesis 3.15, it's the first mention of a Savior. He says, right after we've sinned, that I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he's talking to the devil at this point. He goes on to say that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What we see right there in Genesis 3 is the gospel. It's an early version of the gospel. God's promise that through the seed of a woman that there would come one that would crush the head of Satan. And this is the first promise of a Savior that's given. And that's right in the third chapter of the Bible. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Yes, rebelled. You might say, well, all they did was eat of a fruit. They disobeyed. That is rebellion. But you should have hope today. All the way back at the beginning of time, God promised a Savior. Through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, and all the kings, there is a promise of eternal redemption. We'll be saved from our sins so that we can stand before a holy God. Listen to what God said through Isaiah. Turn with me to Isaiah 44, 22. Again, this is God speaking through Isaiah. Isaiah 44, 22. I have blotted out your transgression like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. What he's saying is I've swept away all the sins just like a dust that comes and as you're sweeping off the porch. I've scattered your sins against me like the morning mist that evaporates. Just return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. That's what God is saying to his people. That is what God is saying to you right now. And this wise woman tells King David that God doesn't take life, but he devises means to try to save life. And that the king should do similar with his son. What we should understand is that God doesn't want us to die and be left in eternity to be an outcast, but God has devised a way for us to come back to him. The whole Bible can be summed up that this is a holy God that is about reconciliation of, of a sinful man to himself. We see the repeated failures over and over again throughout the Bible, but we see the repeated faithfulness of God. Time and time again, man fails, but God never gives up on him. 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us that. It tells us that God was in Christ, reconciling the world back to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave this wonderful message for reconciliation, that God gave us a way to come back to him, and it's through Jesus Christ. And so the question today is, have you responded to his reconciliation, to his plan to bring you back to him? And if you have, has it changed you? Right there in 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says that the sins that we perform against God when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior are no longer held against us. It uses a big word of not imposing their trespasses. What that says is the sins against God are not held against us when we let Jesus come in and be our Savior, when he washes us white as snow. Some of you forgotten where you've come from. 
You're sitting there listening to me today saying, well, you know what? I'm, I'm good. No, we were all enemies of God. You were an enemy. I was an enemy. David was an enemy. Even his son that he won't forgive was an enemy of God. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and in sin. We were dead spiritually is what it says. It says that we walked following the course of the world. We all were under the power of Satan, the power of the air, the spirit of the world. We were sons of the disobedience. We were disobedient to God in his ways is what it's telling us. We all were the walking dead. Yes, we may be alive physically, but we were all dead spiritually. Just like we die physically, we all die spiritually because we all have sinned against God. But I love this chapter, Ephesians 2, and I love verse 4 because it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he had, loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace, have been saved and raised up with him and seated up with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. God loves you, even though you've sinned against him, even though you aren't running towards him, God is finding a way to bring you to him, finding a plan so that you don't have to die and be an outcast. All you have to do when he knocks on your heart is accept Jesus. It is through Jesus' blood that he's made this way of reconciliation. The whole New Testament is all about this. 1 John 4.10 says that, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin. In other words, he sent his son to die and pay the penalty of our sin. And so where am I going with all this? This is a very powerful passage of scripture. God has forgiven David and David should forgive Absalom. God has forgiven us and we should forgive others too. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 15, But if you do not forgive men of their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I don't care what it is and what happened. We're supposed to forgive because we've been forgiven. And so today, if you don't pick anything up, I want you to understand that Jesus has given us spiritual life. He's given us everlasting life. And it's through us when Jesus knocks on our heart. When the Holy Spirit knocks on our heart that we will accept Jesus to be Lord of our life. And when we do that, then we have eternal life. See, God doesn't desire for anyone to perish. Remember, 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord's not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness, but long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I won't chase this rabbit very long, but I'm not one that believes that God predestines anyone to hell. Now, I think God is all-knowing. God knows who will and won't accept when he comes knocking on the heart. But I believe God wants everyone to accept it. He wants to be wrong. You know, again, we could split hairs over this predestination. But what I believe this verse is telling us is that God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He wants all to come to repentance, and he gives everyone the opportunity so as I'm running out of time, what does this all mean to us? First, we need to realize that death is real and that we all will face it one day unless we accept Jesus and we're raptured up. Second, there is a spiritual death and we are all spiritually dead. That's what we saw in Ephesians 2. But this was fixed by Jesus who gave us a way to be reconciliated back to God. And that should excite you today. All it takes is that you getting right with God right now, and then you get to spend the eternity with God. 
And that's exactly what Romans tells us. In Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life in Christ Jesus. All of us have the wages against us because of our sin, and that is death. That's what sin will eventually cost you. When we go and die and go before this holy God, if you've not asked Jesus into your heart, then the wages of sin is eternal death. And this woman tells David, and we need to realize that the life that we have is a gift. God gave us a gift, and we should love being alive. We should love breathing and living, and we should do it for Jesus. On this side of heaven, before we die, we should do all we can for Jesus. In our weekly mail out that we send, several months ago, my dad wrote a series about heaven and what heaven's going to be like. What the Bible tells us is that we should be excited that we're going to spend eternal life with Christ Jesus. So here's my question to you. Are you living in such a way that you actually believe that you're going to inherit everlasting life? Some of you that are saved weren't ready for that question. You thought I was going to ask, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And that's my second question. For the ones that haven't done it, what's holding you back? I feel like the Lord is knocking on a heart today. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I'll come in and I'll sup with him. I'll spend time with him. Jesus wants a relationship with you today. He's standing at your door knocking. Will you accept and let him in? This woman was wise and she told King David that our life is short. It's like a mist. I don't care how important you think things are. I don't care what you're striving for. The most important thing in your life is where you're going to spend eternity. There's nothing more important that you will ever decide. Where are you going to spend eternity? And Jesus is asking for a relationship with you. Will you allow him to come in? Will you accept him as Lord of your life? Will you say, I'm lost? I've, all, I've fallen short, just like the Bible tells me. I've sinned against God, and I need a Savior. I need my reconciliation. I need a way back. And Jesus is that bridge that does that. Will you say that prayer with me right now? Will you ask Jesus to come into your heart? Will you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I need a Savior. I've fallen short. That's what your word tells me. Lord, I need you to be Lord of my life. Lord, will you please come in right now and save me? Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. If you said that prayer and you really meant it, then you've accepted Jesus as Lord of your life. And now what the Bible tells us is that we should go out and chase after him, that we should be striving every day to be more like him. It's not what we do. See, we get it backwards. We try to chase after him. We try to clean up our life and become saved that way. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we just have to accept Jesus as Lord of our life. And a sign of that is then we turn around and we chase after him, that we try to clean up our life. And guess what? We're not going to get it right. We're going to mess up. We're going to still sin occasionally, but we don't intentionally sin. We strive every day to be more like Jesus. So let's close in a word of prayer. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. I thank you for those that have said a prayer and accepted you as Lord of their life today. Lord, I thank you for sending a message as simple as this one was, but as rich and as important as it is. There's no decision that will make this more important than what we've talked about today. Our life is just a blip on the radar. That's what it's like compared to eternity and that one day we're going to die. We all are going to die. We're going to face a judgment. And Lord, I pray for each and every one that may not have made that decision today. Lord, that you will just you will just knock on their heart. You will keep working on them. I pray today, Lord, that they would also be saved. 
Lord, I pray for those that are like David. Lord, even though that we've been forgiven, that sometimes we don't want to forgive others. Lord, let us always understand that your word teaches us that we are to forgive others just as you have forgiven us, that we're to be more like you, not walk in our flesh, but be led by the Spirit. Let your Spirit lead us. That's the only way we can do that. We can't do it in our own strength. And Lord, I thank you that you loved us enough that you don't want anyone to perish, but you want all of us to be saved. Lord, you want all of us to find a way back to you. Lord, just let that resonate in our heart, even on our worst day, even on a day when everything seems to go wrong, Lord, that you love us that much, that that you chase after us, even though we are chasing after the world. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give us. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.